Well, we begin a new book today, James chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I love that. Just like Paul, he defines himself as a servant. He said, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greedy. So he's writing this to Jews, to Jewish believers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. <laughs> all right, straight up. Let's get right into the practical face of everybody. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. He said, hey, it's going to happen. Don't let it get you down. Consider it joy. <laughs> now, you know what? That's one of those things that's really easy to say, and it's really hard to live when it's you. But this is what he tells us to do. God says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, because you know, number one, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And he said, then let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, Lacking in nothing. All right. So, all right. This is the fruit of trials with proper response. When you count it all joy, okay, the testing of your faith produce steadfastness, perseverance. <laughs> people who cut and run are people who haven't been through much. How do you get so determined to stand your ground, Pastor? The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You've been there. You've watched God never fail you, never forsake you. You know that you can stand your ground because you've watched God show up every time. And steadfastness have its full effect. Now, what is the full effect of steadfastness? Number one, that you're perfect. In other words, that you get mature. And complete, lacking in nothing. These are spiritual things now. All right, take it a step farther. If any of one, and we use this verse all the time, if any of you lacks wisdom, now wisdom is the application of knowledge, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So, all right. He said, listen, now, knowledge, you can look it up on Google. Wisdom, you better look it up with God. Knowledge is just facts. Wisdom is how to apply those facts. If you're looking at a series of facts, you go, okay, I understand the situation, but what do I do about it? Okay, this is, what do I do? How do I respond? If you don't know what to do with something, okay, you've got, you've got a handle on all the facts. Now ask God for wisdom. And I like how he gives. Generously, he never gives with an eyedropper. He gives to all. He doesn't hold back from anybody. Well, I'm not as mature as that person. It doesn't matter. Without reproach, he never looks down his nose at you, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. 
Why? For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. So doubt stops answered prayer. Whether it's wisdom or healing or anything else, doubt stops answered prayer. He said, so ask with no doubting. Because when you doubt, you're like the wave of the sea. You're pushed around by every emotion. You're pushed around by every wind. You're pushed around by everything. See, when you have faith, you're not pushed anymore. Because you have faith. Now, again, faith is in who God is. God's character and God's power. Those things don't change. Okay, He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, one of the things you learn to watch for in people and in relationships is when people are double-minded, when they, you know, they're just bouncing around with their faith. They're unstable in all his ways. They will be unstable in marriage. They will be unstable in friendships. They will be unstable in business. You know, people who are trying to put on faith, but their hearts are full of doubt, these aren't even people you want to be partnering in business with, all right? They're unstable in all their ways. These aren't people that you want to marry, okay? Ladies, forgive me, but if that guy is just bouncing back and forth, ah, uh, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. <laughs> I love this. The lowly brother boasts in exaltation. The rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of grass, he will pass away. He says, oh, you know, if you're poor, you've been exalted as a son of God. If you're rich, well, <laughs> all your riches are going to go away like the grass. Okay, so, you know, let's have, a, let's have realistic expectations about things. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You know, you'll, you'll watch businessmen just die in the middle of all they're making money. <laughs> Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Now, all right, so we're up here talking about trials, the testing of your faith. We're talking about trials here. We're talking about testing of your faith here. Now it comes down here. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. This is part of our rewards at the Bema Seat. At the Bema Seat of Christ, we will receive a crown of life. Let no one, when he is tempted, say, let no one say, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. All right, that's a fact. It's amazing to me how people say, well, you know, God, God did this to me. God did not. <laughs> Sorry, God. God has never tempted anybody, ever. God doesn't do that. God loves people. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now notice, his own desire. You got to watch those desires of your heart, my friends. 
you can't let stuff in there. There's, you know, there's a lot of places I don't go and there's a lot of things I don't want to see because I'm a normal person. And if you see those things, you get desires going in you that shouldn't be there. So it's just better not to see those things. It's better not to be around those things. And you say, well, Pastor Summerall, you're weak in your faith. <laughs> Fine. I just want to go to heaven. Okay. <laughs> you can say what you like, but I'm a human being like everybody else. And I don't want to create desires within me that will lure me and entice me to a place of temptation. You know, instead, what I want to do is pray like Jesus taught me to pray and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Brothers and sisters, when people say, you know, the devil did this or God did this, I just look at people and go, you know what? You need to take some responsibility for yourself. You fed your imagination. You fed those evil desires. You went places where those desires could grow within you. One of the things you have to learn is there's a lot of places as a Christian we just don't go. Have you ever noticed that that's one of the things I enjoy going to Israel is sometimes I just walk around and think, you know, Jesus never came here and he never came here for a reason. He never went into the, the, the prostitution section right there in the center of, of Bashan. He never went there. He never hung out in Tiberias. He didn't go hang out in Sephardi. He hung out. He was a conservative rabbi who hung out in the conservative Jewish areas. And, you know, even at the Last Supper, he didn't, he didn't go hang out with the big shots. He went to the Essene community. He went to the most conservative, righteous living Jewish section in the city to have the Last Supper. Now, Jesus was a funny guy. He didn't go around stuff. I think I'll be like Jesus and just not go around stuff. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. All right, so sin starts with a desire. And we'll write this in red. It starts with a desire. And then it goes to conception. That means you go someplace. You go to where it can occur. Now, now think with me. You go to where it can occur. Conception means the egg and the sperm come together. Okay. You go to where it can occur. Then it gives birth to sin. Birth, sin. And then when sin is born, there's death. What is death? Separation from God. That, that's the wheel of misfortune. Okay, you talk about the wheel of fortune. That's the wheel of misfortune. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, all right? Don't be deceived. Now, here's a big deal. There's a lot of deception that goes on especially in these days of darkness and days of evil. There's a lot of deception that goes on. He said, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God never changes. Now, notice, there's no variation with God because he doesn't change. God is constant. 
There's no shadow. God is God. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Of his own will he brought forth us by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. All right, so you and I are first fruits. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. All right, three commands. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I was talking with the person one time and I said, you know, I can't even finish a sentence before you're talking. I said, can I finish what I was saying, please? Be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. You're going to get angry sometimes, but be slow, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. All right. Now, straight up, and we all get angry. Does not. Never will. I understand anger has to be shown. Jesus showed anger as he cleansed the tabernacle or cleansed the temple twice. But notice it does not produce the righteousness that God requires. It didn't change any of those men's lives. See, that's that's the thing that you got to get a hold of. On that day that Jesus cleansed the temple, he's fully God and fully man. The two different times he did it. First time, they came back. Now, yes, he had to do it a second time because he had to show that he was not part of the corruption of the system. He had to show he was not part of that. It had to be a a cleanse. I mean, he had to stand there as a spotless lamb in in fulfillment of the Passover lamb teaching. He could not not be there tolerating all of the corruption around him. So yes, he had to do it. But even his anger did not change those people's lives. Now, Now, I know you're going to have to get angry at your kids sometimes. I know you're going to have to get angry at employees sometimes. But the thing that you're going to have to understand is no matter how right we were in being angry, it doesn't change anybody. It doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires. Now notice that that's just a clear declarative statement. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. That is a righteousness that's produced by the sacrifice of Jesus. Anger will not change people. It may control people, but it doesn't change people. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. (laughs) All right, he's talking to believers. Put away all the filthiness, believers. Put away all the rampant wickedness, believers, and receive with meekness the implanted word. As your pastors teach you, receive the word. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's deceiving yourself. Now notice here's another deception. For anyone, who, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed 
in all his doing. I love that. He will be blessed in all his doing. Now, forgive me. That's like, all right. I look in the mirror and I see the bop. Okay. And I walk away and I forget the bop. And I try to put on a size 38 pair of pants because they look nice. <laughs> it doesn't work. Diba? No, I'm going to need my 42s. I can't, I can't put on those 32s or 36s. I need my 42s. Now, in the same way, when you look at the mirror of God's word, be honest with yourself. These are things that need to change in my life. These are things that I need to do. These are things that I need to not do. The one who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Ah, do you want to be blessed? Just when you see stuff in the word, live it. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now notice, we keep seeing deception again. You think you're religious, but you don't control your tongue. Your religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. All right. Visit orphans. Visit widows. Visit. Connect group leaders. Visit in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, you know, if you get around sin, it's going to put some stains on you. Stay away from sin. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. And Sister Bev's coming to you with Ezekiel. Oh 
Welcome back to Ezekiel, and our reading this morning actually starts in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 45. I know we have already read Ezekiel chapter 20 up until verse 44, but the original Hebrew text actually starts chapter 45 as belonging to the next chapter. And there's a good reason for that, because previously we've been talking about things that are distant future, and now we're going to start talking about things that are now in Ezekiel's world. They are now, they're not in the distant future. So logically, it makes sense that we would tag this last little bit of this chapter 20 with the chapter to come. So we will start there. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward the south land, preach against the south, and prophesy against the forest land in the Negev. Say to the forest of the Negev, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree in you and every green tree. Wow. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from south to north shall have been scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it, and it shall not be quenched. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, they're saying of me, is he not a maker of parables? (laughs) Ezekiel knew what people were saying about him. I mean, I could imagine people were really talking about this guy. He was, in some people's mind, probably a crazy man (laughs) with all his antics, all his drama, drama. He's the most drama, drama prophet that we have, this Ezekiel. But... This next passage that he is going to proclaim, chapter 21 and 22, that we're going to read, it's not a parable. It is very clearly spoken, clearly understood. In fact, chapter 21 is called the sword song or the prophecy of the sword. It's the most sword-filled passage in the entire Bible. It would be Uh, about judgment, of course, and it's not always pleasant to read about these things. In fact, it's heartbreaking to realize and understand that some people can look right in the face of God, in His works, and His word, and His actions, and His mercy, and His love, and say, no, thank you. I don't want anything to do with it. And those people eventually come under judgment, of course. So chapter 21, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward Jerusalem and preach against the sanctuaries, prophesy against the land of Israel and say to the land of Israel, thus says the Lord, behold, I am against you. Oh, wow. May our sin never become undealt with undealt with and undealt with and rebelled against to the point that God has to say, behold, I am against you. Wow. And will draw my sword from its sheath and will cut off from you both righteous and wicked. Because I will cut off from you both righteous and wicked, therefore my sword shall be drawn from its sheath against all flesh from south to north and all flesh shall know that I am am the Lord. So there is our theme again. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And how many times we see that it is judgment 
that brings that knowledge that, wow, God is really God, and I missed it. I have drawn my sword from its sheath, and it shall not be sheathed again. As for you, son of man, groan with breaking heart and bitter grief, groan before their eyes. So clear words, but some more drama drama for the part of Ezekiel. And yes, it is heartbreaking to see people turning away from God completely and reaping the results or the consequences of their choices. And when they say to you, why do you groan? You shall say, because of the news that is coming. Every heart will melt and all hands will be feeble. Every spirit will faint and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming and it will be fulfilled, declares the Lord God. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord. A sword, a sword is sharpened and also polished, sharpened for slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Or shall we rejoice? You have despised the rod, my son, with everything of wood. So the sword is given to be polished that it may be grasped in the hand. It is sharpened and polished to be given into the hand of the slayer. Cry out and wail, son of man, for it is against my people. It is against all the princes of people. You know, sin is so heartbreaking. When you see people sinning and then reaping the consequence of their sin, it is heartbreaking. So heartbreaking that God made a plan of salvation. He gave his one and only son, that that son of his beloved son would die for all of us rebellious people here on this earth and would give his life, shed his blood for us. Thank God for his love. Thank God for Calvary. Now it's our job to make sure that all flesh shall hear the good news and have the opportunity to repent. They are delivered over to the sword with my people. Strike, therefore, upon your thigh, for it will not be a testing. What could it do if you despise the rod, declares the Lord God? As for you, son of man, prophesy. Clap your hands and let the sword come down twice, yes, three times, the sword for those to be slain. It is the sword for the great slaughter which surrounds them, that their hearts may melt and many stumble. At all their gates I have given them, given the glittering sword. Ah, it is made like lightning. It is taken up for slaughter. Cut sharply to the right. Cut yourself to the left, wherever your face is directed. I also will clap my hands. I will satisfy my fury. I, the Lord, have spoken. The word of the Lord came to me again. As for you, son of man, mark two ways for the sword of the king of Babylon to come. Who's the king of Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar, right? At this time, the one who was going to destroy Jerusalem. And God is telling Isaiah to mark two ways for him, like make a map, make two maps, make one going in one direction and one going in another. Mark two ways for the sword of the king of Babylon to come. Both of them shall come from the same land. So he's coming from Babylon, but where he goes, that is the question. And make a signpost. Make it at the head of the way to a city. 
mark a way for the sword to come to Rabbah of the Ammonites and to Judah into Jerusalem, the fortified. So two possible routes that Nebuchadnezzar and his forces would take. One is Rabbah, that is the modern-day Amman, Jordan. And then the other would be to Jerusalem. For the king of Babylon, that's Nebuchadnezzar, stands at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways, to use divination. He shakes the arrow, he consults the teraphim, he looks at the liver, into his right hand comes the divination for Jerusalem. So this is Nebuchadnezzar. You know Nebuchadnezzar. You've read the book of Daniel, right? Nebuchadnezzar, whom I call Nebuchadnezzar, because in the book of Daniel, he made three times a proclamation that the Lord is king of all kings. The Lord is God alone. See, Daniel had gone into captivity significantly before the time that Ezekiel was there, sitting among the captives. Daniel was already there. These things had happened. And Nebuchadnezzar had proclaimed, he is the king, the God of Daniel. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And here he is, consulting divination, magic arts. It says when he's looking at the liver, the liver is they would kill a sheep in this divination, in this magic arts. And then they would look at the liver of that killed sheep to see the markings of it, to see what they were supposed to do. And between the two of these, the lot fell to Jerusalem. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, how do you go from saying The God of Daniel, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to standing at the crossroads, killing a sheep to look at its liver and see what you should do, or consulting, shaking arrows and all these magic arts that he was doing. Don't proclaim lightly your faith. If you believe that God is the God of gods and the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that belief will have an effect upon our life will have an effect upon our lifestyle. If we are going to proclaim his lordship, then we are going to live under his lordship. Amen? It doesn't do any good to proclaim. And then, you know, the story with Nebuchadnezzar, then uh, something else would happen and he would be confronted again with the power of God. And once again, he would proclaim the lordship of God. And then three times this happened as far as is recorded in the book of Daniel. And we don't know what else happened in the rest of his life because it's not recorded, but three times. That's why I call him Nebuchadnezzar, because he never got it. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar, standing here, making magic arts to decide which way should he go. And so into his right hand came the divination for Jerusalem, to set battering rams, to open the mouth with murder, to lift up the voice with shouting, to set battering rams against the gates, to cast up mounds, to build siege towers. But to them it will seem like false divination. They have sworn solemn oaths, but he brings their guilt to remembrance that they may be taken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have made your guilt to be remembered, in that your transgressions are uncovered so that all your sins appear, because you have come to remembrance, you shall be taken in hand. And you, O profane wicked one, prince of Israel, 
whose day has come, the time of your final punishment. Thus says the Lord God, remove the turban and take off the crown. Things shall not remain as they are. Exalt that which is low and bring low that which is exalted. And you know, God has the power always to do that, right? We need to humble ourselves before him because the humble will be exalted. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled. A ruin, 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 I will make it. This also shall not be until he comes, the one to whom judgment belongs, and I will give it to him. So the kingship will be removed from David's dynasty until Messiah comes. And of course, Messiah is a son of David, of the house of David, and he will rule forever and ever. Verse 28, And you, son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God concerning the Ammonites and concerning their reproach, say, A sword, a sword is drawn for the slaughter. It is polished to consume and to flash like lightning. While they see you for, they see for you false visions, while they divine lies for you to place you on the necks of the profane wicked whose day has come, the time of their final judgment. Return it to its sheath. In the place where you were created, in the land of your origin, I will judge you. And I will pour out my indignation upon you. I will blow upon you with the fire of my wrath. And I will deliver you into the hands of brutish men, skillful to destroy. Wow, of all the skills that I ever want in my life, I don't want to be known to be skillful to destroy. You shall be fuel for the fire. Your blood shall be in the midst of the land. You shall be no more remembered, for I, the Lord, have spoken. Now in chapter 22, God is again talking about Israel's wickedness, the shedding of blood. And we're going to come up with a new name for Jerusalem in this chapter you know, Jerusalem has been called the city of gold, the city of God, and it is. But here in this chapter, it's called the bloody city, the city of blood. Wow. And the word of the Lord, chapter 22, came to me saying, And you, son of man, will you judge, will you judge the bloody city? Then declare to her all her abominations. So this is all the idol worship. You know, idol worship giving way to murder, giving way to adulteries, and all of the things that all work together with all that evil world. You shall say, thus says the Lord God, a city that sheds blood in her midst so that her time may come and that makes idols to defile herself. You have become guilty by the blood that you have shed and defiled by the idols you have made, and you have brought your days near. The appointed time of your years has come. Therefore, I have made you a reproach to the nations and a mockery to all the countries. Those who are near and those who are far from you will mock you. Your name is defiled. You are full of tumult. Behold the princes of Israel in you. Everyone according to his power have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. So this is a listing of what God finds guilty in Israel. There are men in you who slander to shed blood, and people in you who eat on the mountains, they commit lewdness in your midst. 
In you, men uncover their father's nakedness. In you, they violate women who are unclean in their menstrual impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. Another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you, they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But me, you have forgotten, declares the Lord God. That's quite a list of sins, isn't it? I'm glad we don't have to like list all of our sins. But if any of those seem familiar to you, then you need to run to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, wash me by the blood of Jesus. Behold, I strike my hand at the dishonest gain that you have made and at the blood that has been in your midst. Can your courage endure or can your hands be strong in the day that I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries, and I will consume your uncleanness out of you, and you shall be profaned by your own doing in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. Their dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as one gathers silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into a furnace to blow the fire on it in order to melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath, and I will put you in and melt you. I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath and you shall be melted in the midst of it. As fire is melted in a furnace, so you shall be melted in the midst of it. And you shall know that I am the Lord. I have poured out my wrath upon you. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst. So it's not, Excuse me, it's not only princes, but it's also prophets. It's secular leadership and religious leadership. Prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey, and they have devoured human lives, and they have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. Prophets, priests, supposedly men of God, religious people, religious men. Listen to what it says. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. See that? That's not a good thing. We have to make a distinction between what is holy and what is common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. You know, it's the duty of all men and women of God to love the Lord God, to love his word, to love the people of God. But you know, sometimes when people get caught up in the religiosity of it all, 
even some people who work at church, <laughs> they work there day after day and things become common to them. And pretty soon they lose that sense of what is holy. There is an awe of what is holy. You have to keep God holy before yourself for you, the leader, and for you to teach the people. And it says, so that I am profaned among them. We see this principle here in this chapter, that sin leads to sin leads to sin. What starts off as not keeping the Sabbath or profaning the name of the Lord God, it will lead to sin leads to sin. And pretty soon there's murder everywhere and adultery and fornication and incest and all the other terrible sins that it was listing here. Sin is a trap. So it's better for us to stay out of the trap. Wouldn't you agree? Just stay out of the trap of sin. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. What a thing to say. The rulers destroying life for the sake of dishonest gain. Wow. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them. Seeing false visions, saying, oh, thus says the Lord, and covering up, you know, because they're just as guilty as the rulers. Saying, thus says the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy. They have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man among them. Here's this famous verse in Ezekiel that we can take to heart. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Oh, people, we need to pray. Pray for our land. Pray for those who govern, have governing authority over us. That is our command from the Lord. That is our imperative. Pray and go. Pray for all the land to know that he is the Lord. And go. Hold your go groups. Hold your online crusades. Hold whatever you need to do. Evangelize. Let people know that all flesh may know that he is the Lord. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. We end our Ezekiel reading there for today, but with a reminder. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for the people that we know in our company, our relatives, our friends, our loved ones, our enemies. Let's pray that people would know the Lord. Let's pray for revival in our land and let's live the way of the Lord and let's go and tell people the good news that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ and by his blood. Amen. Amen. Well, that is is our Ezekiel reading for today. Thank you so much for joining us for our morning devotions. Please join us again tonight for our COP online evening service. God 